Welcome to episode three in the case for healing. Today we're going to discuss the subject of salvation. We as Christians often love the idea of being saved. We like to encourage our friends to be saved. We love to ask people about getting saved. But do we truly know what it means to be saved? I'll tell you, whenever I first heard the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel, I didn't realize it at the time because I had never heard the message of salvation. But the message that I had presented to me was not a message that would give a full picture and comprehension of what salvation truly was. It was far more comprehensive than had been originally presented to me. And just for those of you out there who are similar to me, maybe all you ever heard was a message about dying and going to heaven and not going to hell. And if that's the message of salvation that you heard, God bless you. That's at least a part of salvation, but it is not the fullness of salvation. And for those of you who have heard the fullness message, I would encourage you to listen to this as perhaps just a quick reminder as we're going through this. So the idea of salvation, as was presented to me in the first place, was the idea that if I gave my life to Christ and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, then I would receive basically a ticket to heaven whenever I died. I've got the golden ticket and I'd be in a wonderful place, a lot better than a really hot place. And so I was interested. That sounded wonderful. In my mind, what I understood is that there was salvation for whatever this spirit part of me was that I didn't understand at the time. But the issue that I've got is God created me in his image. He created mankind in his image, and he created us as triune beings. We have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Well, the spirit is where salvation begins. It's where it really tends to occur, you know, for the afterlife part. Hey, I got the golden ticket to, to a better afterlife in heaven, if you will. But what about my needs right now? I don't need to die today and be in heaven today. I need to live today. What about my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions? What if I'm struggling from fear or depression or anger? What if I've got conflict with somebody? What if I've got an addiction I'm struggling with? Well, it doesn't exactly help me to have a solution that involves me having to die to receive the fullness of my salvation and to get free from those things that are inside of my soul. I need a solution today so that I can live a life not having those problems. Likewise, I have a body. It helps me out a lot in navigating this life. But what happens when my body has needs? God created me to have a body. What happens if I need healing? Where do I go? How does that work? Is that part of salvation? Well, that's what we're going to discuss a little bit about. I would say overall, I feel the church has done a really excellent job of presenting Christ as the savior of our spirits. But when it comes to presenting Christ as the savior of all of us, our spirit, our soul, and our body, I feel that message has not been fully preached throughout the church. And I've just, I know that because I was one of the guys that never heard that for years and years and years until one day I started researching what the word salvation meant in the Bible. And for me, it was kind of mind blowing. 
So I'm going to read, we're going to start off with the concordance here, the actual definition of the word salvation as used in the New Testament. So in the Greek concordance, it is Strong's number 4982. This is the verb form. We'll get to the, the noun form is soteria and the verb form is sozo. When somebody says you've been saved in the Greek, it would be you've been sozoed. So the word sozo means to deliver or protect, to save, to make whole, to heal, to be whole, to preserve, to do well. This word is used of material and temporal deliverance from danger or suffering, from sickness to be made whole, of the spiritual and eternal salvation granted immediately by God to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, of the present experiences of God's power to deliver from the bondage of sin, and then of the future deliverance of believers at the second coming of Christ for his saints, being delivered from the wrath of God to be executed upon the ungodly. So that's the judgment. So we see here that salvation is a whole lot more than just a dying and going to heaven. There's a present tense. There's actually a part of salvation that I get to live today and experience today, not just after I die. We see within the definition of salvation, and we'll see this in scripture, but we see that there is the ability to deliver us from the bondage of sin. We need to walk in freedom from sin. We don't want to be slaves to sin. We also see that physical healing is there and deliverance from suffering. So that's in the very definition of what it means to be saved as used in the New Testament. I'm going to read some of the scriptures where this word is used so you can see a number of the examples. Uh, before I do that, I just want you to start taking into your mind the idea that if you were not presented salvation as you know, kind of a Swiss army knife, it's got multiple aspects to it, not just one thing, begin to open yourself up to that. I know for me, when I was growing up, I always had this idea that, oh, you know, salvation could only have one, one concept behind it, one definition to it. It could only mean the spirit. It had never occurred to me that this one word could have multiple understandings to it. And maybe that's just because in, you know, the American culture, there aren't necessarily a ton of words like that where, hey, here's this one word with many, many concepts, or at least not a lot that I had used. Uh, but so open yourself up to kind of stretching yourself and reeling, realizing that salvation is multifaceted. So we're going to start with Matthew 8, uh, verse 23. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save, Sozo, us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? So here we see an example of salvation, the word salvation, Sozo, the verb form, is being used 
in a real life in the moment situation to deliver them from the sea and just from all the waves on the sea from the boat rocking around so there's one example of salvation as used in the new testament the next place i want to read from is luke 23 we'll start at verse 32 and go through 35 so two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him and when they came to the place that is called the skull there they crucified jesus and the criminals one on his right and one on his left and jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they do and they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching but the rulers scoffed at him saying he saved sozoed others let him save sozo himself if he is the christ of god his chosen one so here we see a present tense use of the word the idea is that look if jesus could bring present tense deliverance and salvation to others why not to himself now the people here didn't realize that the whole purpose of his crucifixion was to bring salvation to everyone all who would believe but here we see the word used in a real life present tense not a future afterlife kind of situation in john chapter 12 starting at verse 27 here this is jesus and he says now is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save sozo me from this hour but for this purpose i have come to this hour father glorify your name so here we see jesus using the idea of salvation in a conversation with god talking about you know what should he say save him deliver him from the very hour of his crucifixion that's again a present tense reality in the life of christ then and there let's go to second timothy 4 18. the verse says the lord will rescue sozo me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever amen so here we see the word saved being used as rescue that's the idea of being rescued from every evil deed another example is in jude 5 now i want to remind you although you once fully knew it that jesus who saved sozoed a people out of the land of egypt here he's referring to moses that time where they were delivered from egypt that was a present tense salvation from their circumstances during that time in their lives we see this word used in acts chapter 2 verse 47 this is the passage where they're talking about believers coming together many signs and wonders being done through the apostles people having things in common and then it ends with and the lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved sozoed we see this again used in acts chapter 16. i'm going to read this passage because this is a cool story uh, verse 25 about midnight paul and silas were praying and singing hymns to god and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken 
and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sozoed. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Sozoed. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Here's a question I don't have the answer to. What do you think this jailer was thinking when he was thinking, hey, what, what must I do to be saved? Was he just thinking about an afterlife thing? Or was he thinking about entering into salvation which is a present tense reality that goes all the way throughout the rest of my life into the afterlife. All right, let's see this word being used by Jesus for healing. This is Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read this paragraph. It starts at verse 18. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a flow of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. That's Sozo. Jesus turned, and seeing her, said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well, or your faith has sozoed you, salvationed you. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that, that district. So here we see Jesus himself using the word sozo for physical healing. This is the word salvation, or to be saved, or made whole. So we saw Matthew use that word sozo to refer to healing. Matthew, who had walked with Jesus. Now we're going to look at Mark. Uh, I'm going to do the short version because this is the same story with the woman with the issue of blood. And so verse uh, chapter 5, verse 34, And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well, sozo you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So here Jesus tells this woman that had the issue of blood that through her faith she received salvation. And the salvation here being spoken of was a physical healing for her body. The other thing I want to note with this passage in Mark is Mark, the writer of this, also used the word sozo. So he's quoting Jesus, but Mark also had the understanding 
that this concept of sozo was connected to this physical healing of this woman. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, we see this word used again in verse 48. This is again the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And then this, the part where we use the word, it says, And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well, sozoed you, brought you salvation for your body. Go in peace. This is Luke, who was a tra medically trained physician, from what we understand. But Luke, the physician, wrote down this word salvation, sozo, is connected to the physical healing of this woman. Now let's go to the book of James, uh, chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 13, but we're going to see it used in, the, in verse 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save Sozo, the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So here we see James using this word, Sozo, to refer to a physical healing for somebody who is sick. We also, so this is an interesting kind of protocol. Uh, which we see laid out here because you don't see this really much in the Gospels. You don't see this idea of having to have, you know, an elder of the church come and pray over them. There's something like 89 passages on healing in the New Testament, and it's definitely worth meditating on all of them to get a full picture of how healing works. But I know a lot of my exposure over the years in churches is they, they would know this one verse in James but not the other 88 passages on healing throughout the New Testament. And I realized if you just get one out of 89, it's like, imagine you have a puzzle that has 89 pieces and you're only looking at one of them. You're not really going to have a good idea of what that puzzle's about. But if you get all 89 of them and put them together, you'll have a better sight, a better understanding of it. Uh, but I want to talk about this first a little bit because people wonder, hey, we had elders in the church come and pray over them. What happened? They anointed with oil and sometimes they don't see their healing. Well, I want to point out here that it in particular says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And it has been my experience that a lot of people who are elders nowadays don't understand what it means to have the prayer of faith. I have friends that are elders in churches that I know understand the prayer of faith because they've got pretty good success at praying for people for healing. But other people don't understand what the prayer of faith is. And they'll show up and just put the oil on you and, you know, hope for the best. God bless you. But maybe it doesn't work. Well, that's kind of a dilemma. There needs to be a better understanding of what the prayer of faith is, especially because we know Scripture declares that we are saved by grace through faith. So we'll come back to that later. We see this word used again, sozo, in Romans chapter 8. A quick note on Romans. The first seven or so chapters, you really see Paul talking about the fallen man, the fallen nature, the guy that doesn't have Jesus Christ living inside of them, and so they can't walk by the Spirit. But then in chapter 8, you really begin to see 
Romans lay out what the life of a Christian looks like, those who walk by the Spirit of God. So I'm going to read a little bit of this section here. Uh, I'm going to start with verse 18. So Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, sozoed. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here we see the word salvation being used again. Uh, I'd want to go to the verse really quick. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Literally all of creation is waiting for the Christians to wake up and see their identity of who God called them to be and created them to be. That's us. That's you and I. All of creation is waiting with eager longing for it. Because when the children of God, when all the sons and sons and daughters of God begin to really walk in their identity and in their fullness, this world will be radically different as the message of the gospel goes out to all of mankind in very practical ways and brings reformation to our systems, our structures, the way that we do life, the way that we do everything. Those who can hear the voice of God, receive the ideas of God, and learn to be led by the Spirit of God, those are the ones that the world is waiting for. But as we go, we need to make sure we understand the gospel and the message of salvation so that we can fully bring that to mankind. We want to make sure people receive everything that Jesus paid the price to give them. Let's skip to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to do verse 5 and verse 8. Verse 5 tells us, By grace you have been saved. And it tells us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Then verse 8. This is a very popular scripture memorization verse for people. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. My understanding is that it, this scripture is one of the ones that kind of set a light bulb off in Martin Luther's head whenever he began the Reformation. 
you know, he was Catholic at the time and they had a big thing about penance and works, 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 works to earn your salvation. And then he got a revelation reading this. It was by grace through faith, but it's not the result of works. So by grace, you have been saved, sozoed through faith. Now start thinking about that beyond the idea of just the afterlife. I mean, we know that the afterlife part, hey, I'm dying and going to heaven, you know, that thing is by grace through faith. Through faith. God extends his grace towards me, and through my faith, I come, I receive that grace. I interact, I match with it, I receive it. Awesome. There's the dying and going to heaven part. Well, what about the other parts of salvation? Because this word sozo right here, saved, is multifaceted. It's not just one. We're not picking out by grace only my spirit gets saved and then I kick the bucket one day and I have salvation. It works the same for all of salvation. Whenever I need deliverance for anger issues or depressions or anxieties or something, I come to Jesus Christ as my Savior. I hear the message of Jesus for the scripture tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So I hear a message that Jesus will deliver me. He'll free me from emotional issues and mental issues and whatever else I've got. My mind, my will, my emotions. He will free me from that. I simply hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his grace that he has extended towards me, and I believe it and I receive it through my faith. Physical healing works the exact same way. We as humans make it a lot more complicated a lot of the time simply because it's really easy to see our physical bodies with our eyes and we live in a physical world for the most part even though the spiritual is the source of it but because we see a physical world sometimes we may think that the physical is the source and all that there is and the spiritual is you know just oh some made up pretend stuff yet the scripture declares that the spiritual is actually the source the invisible is where all of the visible comes from. And so this is important because that salvation works in the same way. By grace, we receive through faith. If I need healing for my body, it is not by pursuing the physical realm. It is by pursuing the healer. And that life comes through my spirit and then manifests into my body. Jesus Christ himself quickens my mortal body to give it life. And so from the Spirit comes the actual healing life that then flows into my flesh and my being. The life and health and healing and salvation that comes through that is far more powerful than anything I can find in this physical realm. But it works the same. I receive by the grace of Jesus Christ. I hear the message that he's the Savior of my body and I place my faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of my body and then I receive. Now, sometimes we may have mental hangups about this, just like sometimes people have mental hangups about the salvation of their spirit or of their soul. And what we do is we hear an effective, powerful presentation of the gospel to where I can say, hey, I don't care what I've heard about alternative forms of salvation for my spirit or my soul or my body. I'm going to go ahead and place my faith today in Jesus Christ as my savior or my healer, or my deliverer. He is the one that sets me free. As I begin to do that, I begin to walk and enter into a real-life salvation experience 
present tense for soul and body. It's also present tense for the spirit, but that will eventually culminate into the afterlife, which is future tense. All right, let's read 1 Timothy 2, chapter 4, or uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 4. I'll start with verse 3 here. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, sozoed, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to start at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, sozoed us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. This is when the angel is talking to Joseph and telling him, hey, take Mary as your wife. She's pregnant. Wasn't your kid, but it's God's kid. So verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save Sozo, his people, from their sins. Remember, one of the definitions of the word salvation is the present experience of God's power to deliver from the bondage of sin. So that's not just an afterlife thing, but it's also a present reality. Romans 5.10 tells us, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son Jesus, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved, sozoed, by his life. We're going to do a few more scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start with verse 1 and go through verse 2 or 3. Now, I would remind you, brothers, or brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and which, and by which you are being saved, sozoed, are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 consequently he is able to save sozo to the uttermost or completely at all times those who draw near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for them we see here this idea of salvation is not just an afterlife thing it's a continual kind of experience James chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save, sozo, your souls. So here we see the idea of salvation being for the soul. We've also seen that it's for the spirit and for the body. 1 Peter 3, 21 baptism 
which corresponds to this, now saves you, sozo. I'm not going to go into the whole understanding of this passage. I will say baptism alone is not sufficient for salvation. But if you have given your heart to Jesus and have not been baptized, I would definitely encourage you to do it, both baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about another time. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save sozo, both yourself and your hearers. So that's a lot of the different scriptures, not all of them, but a lot of them that use the word sozo whenever it's talking about saved. What I want you to really begin to just grasp is this idea that whenever we see that word in the Bible, it's not just referring to something that happens after we die. It's something that started or starts at the time we give our life to Jesus Christ. It carries on every single day and it can actually be a present every single day experience. If I need physical healing every day for the rest of my life, I get to receive physical healing every day for the rest of my life. That's part of salvation. If I need forgiveness every day for the rest of my life, I get to receive forgiveness every day for the rest of my life. If I need deliverance for fear or anxiety or depression every day for the rest of my life, I get that. But I will say as we begin to really walk the Christian walk and walk by the Spirit, more and more we are walking out our salvation we're living it day by day and eventually we get to a point where we're not struggling if you will to need a breakthrough every day instead we're just living out the salvation that comes by his grace through our faith not because of some work that i have done so i want to talk about the fallen nature a little bit the fact that we're kind of fallen fleshly carnal beings we have you know, more than five senses, but five that are really, you know, touted throughout mankind, the ability to see, taste, smell, hear, and touch. Those are the most common senses that correspond to our physical bodies. Because we have these physical senses, we interact in this physical world. Yet, God created us spirit, soul, and body. Sometimes it is hard for us to remember that God loves us, spirit, soul, and body. He truly loves all of us that he created. He gave Jesus Christ his son to help redeem us because of how much he loves us. This is something we have to keep in mind. God created us three parts and he loves us three parts. For me, a lot of my younger experience was just the emphasis on the spiritual part and I'm going to tell you why. I understand it now as I've been studying this stuff for decades, wondering how come we aren't seeing all the miracles in the churches, you know, all the churches? How come there's so many people that walk into a church sick and walk out of the church just as sick? Where's Jesus? I know if they walked in and encountered Jesus, they would have walked away healed. So how come they're not encountering Jesus when they're going to the church? And what I have started to understand is a lot of times there's a misunderstanding but there's also this idea that, look, if I preach salvation of the Spirit, well, it, it's invisible. I can have you just say a prayer, you know, the sinner's prayer or whatever it is. I'll have you say this little magic prayer. You, you say these magic words. Do them from your heart, though. You know, and if you do that, well, awesome. 
I, as far as I'm concerned, I could count that now as, oh, there is a decision for Christ. Although disciples are the goal, not decisions, but that's another day. Uh, but, you know, if I look and I'm like, oh, good, there's a decision. Well, now I could potentially count in my mind, there's somebody who has given their heart to Jesus and their spirit will be saved. You know, that they've, they've got the new life in them. They'll be saved for the afterlife. Well, that's great. That's a future tense thing. Do you know when that guy is going to find out if what I told him was true and if he's really saved? Potentially not until he dies. And me as the preacher, well, there's not real. What responsibility do I have? Nobody can come back at that point and prove to me that what I preached was incorrect because the guy would be dead and nobody could tell and figure out if they were saved or not. So it's really easy to preach something that's invisible that's not necessarily manifest today in today's reality. However, when you preach the fullness of the gospel, not just the spirit side, but the soul and the body, that begins to really require people to see something now. Um, really quick, I will say though, my experience of salvation of the spirit, I literally felt the quickening. I felt my spirit go from death to life. It was powerful. It woke me up out of a, I mean, a deep sleep, so to speak, even though I was living and still interacting with the world. It was like this light switch was turned on that had been turned off and I could perceive that. So I know when I gave my life to Jesus that something indeed happened and I shared that earlier on. But if I'm the preacher and people are raising their hands and saying, oh yes, I want to be saved, you know, for the spirit side, well, the guy next to him will have no idea if he really got saved for his spirit, at least not that day. Now, what about salvation of the soul? I need deliverance for depression. Well, if somebody comes to me and they're suffering from depression and I preach the good news and help connect them to Jesus Christ, they're going to know pretty quick whether they're still depressed or not. You know, if they live in depression, they'll probably know by the next day or the next few days or some point in the very near future, depending on how long it takes them to receive their freedom. But they'll know it's it's somewhat tangible. And so that becomes that begins to be a concern for some preachers, because what happens if you're preaching that Jesus saves, heals and delivers, and yet you're not having success with people receiving deliverance? Well, you got two options. One, you can begin to troubleshoot and say, okay, Lord, I know this is what your word says. It's in there. It's proven. I could begin to press in and pursue Jesus more and say, Jesus, make me a vessel that understands so that I can help reach more people with the message of salvation. That's the proper heart and attitude. But there's another common mindset that kind of flooded the churches at one point in time. And it was the idea of, hey, I'm just not going to preach the fullness of Jesus because if I do, what happens if things aren't happening? Well, now this is especially true with physical healing. We see this a lot with physical healing. What happens if somebody comes into my church and let's just say they're, they're walking with the cane and they've got, they got a leg problem. And if I believe that Jesus heals, well, I'm going to boldly proclaim that, boldly proclaim that and preach it because it's the gospel. It's the God-given truth that Jesus saves, heals, and delivers. But what happens if I try to pray for that guy or minister healing and he doesn't get healed on the spot? Well, now is it going to look like, am I going to look bad? Is Jesus going to look bad? What's going to happen? And I think a lot of people get taken by the fear of man and say, oh no, I don't want to look bad in front of people. So it'd be just easier for me to not preach the fullness of Christ. 
that way, you know, if people aren't experiencing it, they can't come back to me and blame me for it. Well, that's not me. I would far rather preach the truth of the gospel, even if I don't completely comprehend it or experience it yet, so that we can begin to move towards the fullness of what Jesus has for us. He has salvation for our spirit, our soul, and our bodies. Every bit of salvation that we could ever need already exists in Him, even if we don't yet understand how to receive it and how to walk in it. But we have to remember not to rely on our physical senses alone. Scripture tells us lean not on our own understanding. It also tells us that we as Christians walk by faith, not by sight. And yet when it comes to the salvation of our bodies, we're often walking by sight and not by faith. We have to go to God and have him help us reverse this so that we can walk by faith in what he declares and what his word says and not just what we see with our own eyes. I want to talk about the idea of salvation from the ever so famous verse, John 3.16. But first we have to go back to John 3.14. But before we do that, we have to go back to Numbers chapter 21. So I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hur, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned for what we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from among us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze or copper serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So here we see this is part of the Exodus, you know, Moses is leading the people. They start to grumble against God. Fiery serpents come among them. It's biting the people and they're dying. They're, they're literally dying here. Now, I don't advocate for a judgmental God that's just ready to punish and smash everybody. I don't advocate for that. But we definitely see a little bit more of that throughout the Old Testament. But So here you've got the people walking. Here's these snakes coming. They're attacking the people. They go to Moses, say, hey... We're sorry, you know, uh, we've sinned against you, you and the Lord. Pray for us. The Lord tells Moses, mind you, this is what the Lord is giving for that specific solution in that specific circumstance. And he says, make this fiery serpent. So Moses goes, he makes this, you know, serpent around a pole, puts it up in the wilderness. Everybody who looks at it doesn't die from the snake bite. Now let's fast forward to John chapter 3, verses 14. Through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So here we see, uh, you know, for me, this was a, a famous memorization scripture. You see John 3.16 all over the place. One of the first ones I was taught to memorize as a young 14-year-old, you know, becoming uh, new to the faith and walking into Christianity. But everybody just taught me 3.16. Nobody taught me about 3.14 and 15 right before it. And interestingly, you see here, here's this example. We just saw about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And it was people that literally needed healing for their bodies. They came to look upon this to receive that physical healing and to be delivered from fiery serpents and death that came from that. So there's a physical healing kind of deliverance. Jesus Christ himself is using that as a type and shadow to compare to his crucifixion. He is now saying that as he is going to be lifted up and put on the cross, everybody who believes in him would receive salvation. Sozo. That's for spirit. That's for soul. That's for body. The fullness of salvation. But it does not come automatically. It's by grace, his grace, through our faith. We still have to have our faith match his grace. Now, if you've only ever heard the message about, you know, giving your life to Jesus so that you have a heavenly afterlife and you don't got, die and go to hell, well, that's what your faith's going to be in. That's what you're going to know to receive. If you've never heard the gospel of Christ the healer, you would have never known to put your faith in Christ as healer. I'm telling you, if you've been walking with Jesus for 50-something years and have never known him as your healer, it is not too late. It can start today. It can literally start today. We're going to talk about that at the end. I'm going to give you uh, an invitation to consider inviting Jesus as be just not just your Savior, but also as your healer and your deliverer. Let him be the one that's the fullness of your salvation. Let's go to Isaiah 53. This is a prophecy that is talking about sickness and disease and healing being included within the new covenant and the plan of salvation. Isaiah 53, I'm going to skip around a little bit. Uh, verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It is important to make sure that we are believing what we hear from God, not just what we hear from man and from people around us. We need to hear from God. We need to be as the Bereans, search the scripture. If somebody tells us the truth, we go straight to the Bible and we begin to pursue it. We go to God and we ask him to begin to reveal and teach to us if it is true. Sometimes we might have a whole paradigm shift that shows us a whole new way of thinking that reveals to us that thing we initially came for was not true and the very paradigm through which we were viewing was incorrect. Skipping down to verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their, hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
I think there is still a problem within many people, and I know this has been a situation for me too, uh, just because of ignorance, not knowing that my people perish for lack of knowledge. But how many times do we not esteem Jesus as the Savior because we just don't know to believe in him as our Savior? What about our bodies? How often are we esteeming the, uh, the solutions of man in place of Jesus Christ? We need to figure out how we begin to esteem him as the Savior of our lives, spirit, soul, and body. All right, skipping to 53 verse 4. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases or pains, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed, or with his wounds we are healed. This verse is talking about physical healing. This is a prophecy from Isaiah talking about what Jesus is going to be accomplishing for us. Let's go to see this scripture in action being fulfilled and revealed to us specifically the application of it. Matthew chapter 8. We'll start at verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So here we see we've got that prophecy in Isaiah pointing to, hey, there's going to be a Jesus who's going to be bringing healing to the people Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, an apostle, one of the guys that walked with Jesus and was there and witnessed this, literally wrote down in his gospel that this phys that physical healing of all, you see all who were sick were healed in this passage. And Matthew tells us this is that prophecy of Isaiah in action. He comes and he heals everyone. It's not a one-time thing. It wasn't that Jesus, you know, that Isaiah was prophesying about, you know, one particular Sunday night that was pretty cool. He wasn't talking about that. He was prophesying who Jesus was for us. It was by his stripes that we are healed. And you see at this point in the passage in Matthew 8, 16 and 17, Jesus didn't have the stripes yet because he hadn't been to the cross yet. In God's plan of salvation, Jesus is a substitute Think of like a substitute teacher that shows up on behalf of somebody else. Well, he is the one that became sin for us. He's our substitute. I receive forgiveness because Jesus paid the price so that I could receive forgiveness. I receive deliverance because Jesus paid the price so that I could receive deliverance. I receive healing because Jesus paid the price so that I could receive healing. It works in the same way. I come to Jesus and I receive. We see here in that passage in Matthew 8, 16, says that evening they brought to him 
many who were oppressed and sick. They brought them to Jesus. You notice here you don't see the sick being taken to an alternative other than Jesus. It's Jesus and the disciples that heal the sick. But you don't see a worldly solution being implemented. You don't see Jesus sending people away and saying, Sorry, bro, I'm all out of healing power. Uh, go down the street and I don't know, maybe find you some guy that can do another kind of healing on you. You don't see that. Well, I think in the multitudes, you know, it's easy for these guys to believe because they're just walking up and there's Jesus standing right in front of them. I mean, if I happened to bump into Jesus at the grocery store and I needed a, a miracle and here he was doing a whole pile of miracles with a bunch of people, it'd be pretty easy to believe in that. But what happens now that Jesus has, you know, he, has, he died, he was resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and I don't see him in the flesh the same way that the multitudes did. Has Jesus changed? Well, Scripture declares that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So yesterday, which was a Sunday, Jesus was the same as today, which is Monday. It's the same Jesus. He hasn't changed. The Jesus that walked the earth 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has not lost his place. He has not lost his power. He has not lost anything. There's a lot of different doctrines and theologies that try to take away the power of God and make Jesus this powerless idea that we only get to encounter in the afterlife. That's not it. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ himself is the savior of us, spirit, soul, and body. He alone is the one that God has given us as our savior. There is no other name anywhere by which men must be saved. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We need to remember that salvation is spirit, soul, and body. There is no other name that I can come to for salvation of my spirit. There is no other name that I can truly go to for the salvation of my soul. And there is no other name that I can truly go to for the salvation of my body. The one who created my body is the one who brings healing to my body. I'm going to come up with kind of a silly example here, but I want to use this to really help drive this point home and the understanding of the importance of salvation because there's actually a war right now against Jesus Christ as the Savior of mankind. And sometimes we may not be able to perceive it. So I'm going to come up with this idea that I'm going to call quantum salvation. And this is a completely made up thing right now, and I hope it stays made up forever. But let's say this. There's people out here who, who really like this idea of salvation of the spirit and the afterlife. But they don't really like Jesus Christ and his message. We, we, we want a different way to get saved. So we're going to come up with an idea, and it'll be called quantum salvation. It's a whole field. It's a field where people are going to study all kind of alternative ways other than Jesus Christ to achieve salvation of the Spirit and their rebirth and being born again. We get a bunch of researchers out here really digging into the quantum physics. They're doing their best. They're trying to pioneer the science behind it and understand it. It's not a perfect thing because, you know, quantum physics is kind of a little bit invisible. 
And so it's not necessarily easy to see it all, but you can see maybe some of the effects of it here and there. So now you got this whole field of people trying to pursue quantum salvation. And then, well, okay, we, need, we can't just have researchers. We need some practitioners. So let's get some practitioners out here. We'll just call them, I don't know, quantum men. I'm just making this up as I go, but quantum men and women, you know, but quantum men and these guys exist to help people who want some sort of salvation of their spirit, but they don't want Jesus Christ. And so what we do is now, you know, hey, I go down to this quantum man and he comes up with all these ways that I can begin to have spiritual experiences, maybe seemingly spiritual things, you know, all kind of different techniques. I know some of the popular ones that are starting to go on. I can go get injected with ketamine. This is a real thing, by the way. I could actually go down. There's a, a clinic. I can go get injected with ketamine so that I can start having some sort of drug-induced trip and, you know, start having visions and seeing spiritual guides and whatever else that might happen when you get injected with ketamine. I don't know. But I can go do that. And I can come out with a spiritual experience. And this is actually one of the things they're doing to help veterans right now, or at least touting they're doing this to help veterans who are still suffering from PTSD and other issues. Inject them with ketamine, let them have a drug trip and see what happens. Well, there's an alternative. I can try to get some salvation that way. Let's say that time goes on and eventually the government catches on and likes this idea. And there's a lot of money in this idea to be had too. But the issue is we don't want all these crazies and quacks out there, you know, just telling it. We don't, we don't want any more of those Jim Jones Kool-Aid drinking kind of guys. We don't want people doing that. So we've got to make sure there's some safety. So we need to get some government regulation in on this, maybe some licensing, some certification, some education, some programs, and so on. There's got to be a way to at least make sure we don't have any Jim Jones type of people out there. For those who don't know, Jim Jones was a cult leader that basically deceived a bunch of people into drinking poison and they all drank this poison and killed themselves thinking that was going to be their salvation. Absolutely stupid, but people fell for it. So because we don't want that, guess what? It's time to regulate this. You're no longer allowed to help people with the idea of salvation unless you have a degree, a license. You've been approved by the government. I'm going to stop this right here. I don't know if you just followed that whole train of thought, that whole ridiculous kind of concept and story, but you realize that was just the church giving up their place as the preachers of salvation, as the witnesses of Jesus Christ, and allowing the world to begin to take their place and to literally regulate the church out of their message of salvation. Or the church at this point would have to now bow down to government regulation to begin to practice salvation. That's an issue. Also, the issue there would be, I mean, at least in America, we have this whole separation of church and state, you know, kind of sort of pretend idea, but the government can't be that which preaches salvation, at least, you know, under our current laws. That's the church. That's the church's job. So that would be ridiculous if we would actually let something like that happen for salvation of our spirits. It's also possible that it would be less likely for the government to want to get in on this just because, you know, the salvation of the spirit is kind of an invisible thing. But what happens when you have fallen humans who walk by sight and not by faith, 
who don't understand what salvation as defined by God truly is. That salvation is for spirit, which the church still preaches pretty good throughout most of the church, I find. Even the people that don't understand the fullness of salvation, you can go to a lot of them and get at least the basic gospel message of Christ as the Savior of your spirit and forgiver of your sins. You'll hear that. But what about Christ, the deliverer of my soul? Oh, hey, look, I've got mind, will, and emotional problems. We have actually begun an entire field dedicated to finding solutions for those problems. The field of psychology is a common one. I'm not here to hate on the idea of psychology. I've got a really good friend that's a psychologist, actually a couple of them. And so I don't condemn what they do, but I do want to step out and say, how are they going about it? It's one thing if I come into your office as a psychologist and your entire mindset is, hey, I know that Jesus is the savior and deliverer. This guy doesn't know how to connect to Jesus, so I'm going to help be, be the one that connects him to God so he can receive freedom. Well, that is far more likely to work and actually has really good effective results from the people I know that are psychologists that practice this way. But what if instead I go to a psychologist and I say, hey, I got this problem with depression. And what they do is they look back to the world's wisdom, the world's advice, those who walk by sight and not by faith, those who don't hear the voice of God, those who don't know how salvation truly works. And they give me a bunch of works-based ideas and solutions. Here's a bunch of things that I can try to use willpower, my own willpower, to hopefully produce you know, some sort of fruitful results. And if we remember from repentance in the beginning, the idea of me having to use my own willpower to effect a change is not repentance. Repentance comes not from me using my willpower, but from me surrendering to a higher power and letting he, him, be my savior. He is the one that brings me the deliverance and the freedom. So I don't want to go to a psychologist's office and just get handed a bunch of, you know, ideas of various people doing their best and trying, but they don't really, you know, see perfect results all the time. It's easy to tell that a lot of people don't get perfect results. Look at how many different kinds of, you know, psychology techniques and things that are out there. There's a lot of them. You know, there's not a lot of different kinds of salvation of the spirit. There's just one. Go to Jesus. Same for the soul. Salvation of the soul works like this. Go to Jesus. We hear the gospel. He extends his grace to us. We, through our faith, receive it. And we get freedom. And I shared with you in the last episode or one of the last couple episodes about some of the freedom that I've experienced. I only gave you a tiny, tiny insight into that. As I go further on in my ministry, I'll start sharing with you how the Lord set me free from more and more from anger, from fear of death, from a lot of things that I know that other people may need freedom from. I'm going to do my best to help you get that freedom at some point. And the way I'm going to do it is by telling you that Jesus Christ will save you, he will free you, and he will heal you. You've just got to come to him and believe and receive it from him. Put your faith in him. So that was a little bit about the human soul the mind, will, and emotions, and a little bit of salvation for that. Well, let's look at the other part of human, the one that's really obvious to see when you look in the mirror, the body. What about salvation of the body? Well, let me tell you this. Let's go back to that quantum salvation idea, that goofy idea. Imagine 
that we get 100 million people who come together and they take a vote to replace Jesus Christ in God's plan of salvation. I mean, Jesus is cool and stuff, but man, that's kind of weird. Give, give us a man. Give us somebody we can see right now. Give, give me somebody I can go to that can do some things on me and help me feel like I got salvation. You know, I got that going on. Well, if we have a hundred million people that vote to replace Jesus Christ and God's plan of salvation, do you think it would be acceptable to God? What if every human in the entire world, everyone on the planet, every language, every culture, united for one purpose, to appeal to God to give us anybody other than Jesus Christ and God's plan of salvation? Would that be acceptable to God? I mean, we all took a vote, right? It would not be acceptable to God. It would absolutely not be acceptable. He already sent his only son, his only beloved son, begotten son, down to earth to be a living sacrifice for us, who gave his life and died. It is finished. It's already been done. The plan of salvation has already been affected and it's already in place. No matter how many humans look for an alternative to Jesus Christ, we will never succeed at doing this fully. The best we can do is try, and it's like treading water where as long as we can, hoping not to drown, yet there's a guy standing on the light on the shore with the lifeline ready to throw it to us and help us. But we've got to focus on him so we can receive that help. So let's talk about the bodies. In all of scripture, you only see one plan for the healing of the bodies, and that's God himself. When you look at his names in the Old Testament, you see Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who heals you, or God himself who is your cure. The place that healing comes from is literally from God himself as the source and his life that lives within us. So the way that we receive physical healing is by going to God himself and we receive it directly from him by grace through faith. If I'm having trouble with salvation, I need to hear the gospel again because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We see that in Romans. Also, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's more than one way to interpret this, and I'm going to give you both, and I'm going to encourage you to do both. But uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So one thing that people will say is, oh, hey, I'm going to preach to you from scripture. I'm going to preach to you about Jesus. That can actually help instill faith into people. But I'll tell you where faith really comes from is as I'm preaching the truths of scripture into people, people are starting to tune in. In their head, they're tuning in to what I'm calling the frequency of freedom, the voice of God. They begin to hear God quickening them, speaking to their spirits, imparting life. And as they hear the, the things coming out of my mouth or the preacher's mouth, and then God begins to bring life to them, now they have faith rising up in them. And it's much easier for them to place their faith in the Savior to receive salvation. I will tell you, I didn't understand that at the beginning. 
And so at the beginning of my Christian walk, I'd only been taught about forgiveness. I didn't know that I could get healing in the exact same way. I didn't know that I could get deliverance in the exact same way. Nobody taught me that. I went by for years and years and years not realizing that. One of the things we need to realize too is just because we have perhaps gone a long time without knowing Christ as our deliverer or our healer doesn't mean that he is not so. It means we're just really, really, really late to this party sometimes, but you can come on in anytime. Come join it. You can, If you've never known Christ as your healer or deliverer, you can get to know him as that today, no matter how long you've been walking with him. So I want to talk about covenants really quick. There's two covenants that you see that uh, scripture really talks about and seems to promote the idea of. One is the marriage covenant. The second is the new covenant. You may see some Old Testament ideas of covenants and things, but you don't see this in the New Testament. The idea of making covenants in the new in the new covenant beyond the new covenant itself and marriage is actually kind of contrary to the teachings of Christ. I'm not going to go over that today, but it's a very common practice I've seen for a lot of churches, especially to try to get people to covenant with them and so on. You'll see various ministers covering, covenanting with one another and so on. And that's actually contrary to what Jesus teaches. But we'll, I'll cover that later. Um, right now, I want to talk about marriage covenant and the new covenant. What does it mean to be in covenant? I have found that a lot of times in my relationship with God, it's good to start looking at my relationship with my wife. Because my relationship with my wife is a covenant. And my relationship with God is a covenant. My relationship with my wife is a union. My relationship with God is a union. So we can look at that union and that covenant, both of them, and begin to kind of think in a similar way with, hey, how faithful am I being to my God? So I'm going to give um, an example here, and I'm not going to go too graphic or too much detail. But imagine this. Imagine you've got a man and a woman who are in covenant with one another to take care of each other's physical needs. And one day, the man goes across town and finds another lady to take care of his physical needs. But perhaps he had to hire this one and he obtained the money from his wife. And after he was done getting his needs met by the other woman... He drove home and praised his wife because she helped him have his needs met by giving him the money so that he could hire someone else. So I think a lot of us would look at that and say, oh, no, no, what? He's in covenant with his wife. She's supposed to be the one meeting his physical needs and vice versa. He meets hers. This is not an okay thing for them to do. I know we have part of our society starting to go absolutely rampant with immoral behavior, but that is not something that would generally be accepted inside of a covenant. Well, now imagine you've got a savior, Jesus Christ, and he's in covenant with you to be your savior. That is for your spirit, your soul, and body. He sozos you. He salvations you. He himself is the savior. When we come to Jesus, he himself is the healer. The healing power flows from him to us. But imagine I don't understand that because I'm raised in a different culture in a different time that doesn't have 
understanding of that. And I just wasn't raised to understand it. So I'm in covenant with Jesus. And I say, yo, Jesus, can I have 500 bucks? He blesses me with 500 bucks. Hey, what are you using it for? Oh, I got some bodily needs. I turn around. I walk out. I go down. I find a local physician. I pay him 500 bucks. I get some good drugs, whatever he's going to shoot me up with or pill me up with or whatever the industry is currently pushing on him to prescribe as the new savior of mankind. And that will be on a TV commercial 10 years later by my profession, by the way, my fellow lawyers suing them over it. But anyways, um, you know, and I go out there and I, I get whatever from the physician. He throws some drugs at me. They kind of help with my symptoms and, you know, and whatnot, maybe a few side effects, but I seem to have a little bit of relief. And I come home and I praise Jesus the whole way home because he helped me find some sort of solution for my physical needs. We may realize the ridiculousness of this. Uh, at this point, anyways, Jesus himself is our healer. He is our savior. And so if I'm in a covenant with him where I have covenanted that he himself and he, he alone is my savior, there is no other name under heaven which I covenanted by to be saved except for one, and that's Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus is my savior, I want to be as faithful to him as possible. Now, we do run into a practical issue that I definitely want to talk about. One of the practical issues is, what about right now if I need some healing and I don't know how to receive it from Jesus? I'm struggling to receive it from Jesus. Will I be condemned by running off to a local physician to receive help? I'm going to give you a couple different thoughts on this. The first one is going to be my own practical advice and encouragement simply because I'm not licensed to give medical advice, um, even though medicine has just tried to trump salvation and kick Jesus out of it and replace him, uh, and now is being regulated by the government, if y'all did not pick up on that already. But let's talk about perhaps the safest way to approach this issue and this subject. Well, I would say the safest way is, look, once you wake up and realize that Jesus is the savior of your spirit, your soul, and your body, and if you get to a point where you would like to be faithful to Jesus in all of those areas of salvation, then what we do is we just come to him. He's a loving savior for us, especially for us who are his children and to those of us who are being saved. We come to him and say, Jesus, I didn't know this. I didn't understand this and help me out as I have my breakthrough. Well, then what we do is repentance, remember, is a mental shift. It begins in our heart. We invite the Lord to help free us and shift the way that we see things so that we can begin to step into his reality and his life and his experience. Now, if somebody out there is currently under the care of a physician, you do whatever you need to do in your heart and mind. You don't let me be the guy that tells you how you have to run your life and whether or not you're allowed to go see a doctor. That's not my place. My place is to tell you about Jesus Christ and to tell you that you can get these things from him. And so I know some people have taken this kind of practical approach of, hey, as I'm waking up to this, maybe what they do is they start praying for healing for whatever needs they have that are currently under the care of a physician. As they begin to experience that healing and they no longer need the care, they walk away from it. Many of whom walk into a lifestyle of healing from Jesus at that point because they begin to receive the healing directly from the Lord. What they'll tend to find is they don't necessarily have a heavy use of physicians down the road. They may never need one again once they get a full revelation of who Christ is as their Savior. 
So remember, we're in covenant with God, with Jesus, to be the savior of our spirit, soul, and bodies. Now, God does allow humans that can help. They do. But they're supposed to connect us to him directly. But let me ask you, when's the last time you went to a physician who literally just laid hands on you, ministered miraculous healing, and kicked you out perfectly healthy and healed? I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. I've seen the opposite, but you know, I mean, as a lawyer, I did do some medical malpractice uh, cases and situations, and I've seen a lot on the negative side of the medical industry. I'm not going to go into that here, but you don't really see doctors out there who are laying hands on the sick and miraculously healing them. And that would actually be problematic for them if they were following the commands of Christ for healing the sick, because Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. It would be hard for the average doctor to make four hundred thousand plus dollars a year if they're giving away their if they're doing the ministry of Jesus and they're doing it for free. But God allows humans that help connect us to God directly, but not humans who replace Jesus in the plan of salvation. We're supposed to point the way to Jesus, not take the place of Jesus in God's plan of salvation. And there's a difference. And a lot of time, I think it's just because we're fallen humans that we look at things. I mean, I'll dig into this as I begin to get into the belief systems that make up a lot of the various attempts for, you know, human attempts for healing. And I'm going to go through a lot of the belief systems that make up Eastern medicine, Western medicine, energy medicine, a lot of different things. I've studied a lot of them over the years. Uh, when I was younger, I had a big heart for healing. I wanted to learn how to do healing. And so I studied all kinds of things. But there is one common belief system that they all share. And it's that Jesus Christ is not the savior of the body. Instead, here's this thing that I can do to try to bring you healing other than what Jesus Christ taught me to do. That's what makes up the belief systems behind nearly every proposed form of health and healing to mankind. That is what we would call works-based legalism. It's the idea of I can do a thing to bring forth my salvation. I can go buy this magical bottle of plant pills on Amazon, and if I just eat enough of these special plant pills, then I can expect some sort of health benefits coming to me. Yet who is health? His name is Jesus. He is the source of life and health and healing. And I assure you, if I'm looking to my Savior for salvation of my body, he's not staring back at me saying, Yo, Eric, do you have that special plant pill in your stomach right now? If you don't, I'm not going to heal you. You better go, you know, take three of the capsules and call me in the morning or whatever. That's not Jesus. He himself is the life. It is not the creation that brings healing. It is the creator. We need to remember that we're in relationship with God. We're his children. I'm going to tell you, I'm in relationship with my children. When my children come to me and they need their dad to do something for them, I step in and I am the dad. I don't try to outsource my, my dadness to somebody else. That would be kind of weird for me to call my buddy and be like, yo, my kid wants to play with their dad. Will you come over and play with him so I don't have to? That would be weird. God's not doing that for us when it comes to salvation. He himself is in relationship with us. And I think it would be easier if we begin to think about Jesus like physical. 
Imagine he was literally standing in front of you right now and you were having a conversation about salvation, spirit, soul, or body. There's the Savior right there. He wouldn't send you to another man to have to get a replacement form of salvation. He himself would be your Savior. And so he is. I want to encourage those of you who are perhaps afraid to start believing in Jesus Christ due to what if no results. Well, here's some of my practical encouragement. You know, there were some of these old school preachers that John G. Lake was one of them, and there's a handful of them that just absolutely hated doctors and medicine men. That's not me. I actually almost went to medical school. And, you know, I've studied a lot in the medical world. I used to do, uh, in my law practice, I did a lot of things involving medical stuff. And I at least became decently educated in quite a few different areas of medicine. So I'm not here to say, hey, let's hate on that. But I am here to say, look, as we begin to wake up to the fact that that's not the savior of mankind, Jesus is. And Jesus is the savior of my body. I need some practical ways to begin to press into that. Well, these old school guys would tell you, you have to abandon ship on all medical care and just faith in God alone if you wanted to do it. You know, put put aside your pills, put aside your drugs, put aside life-saving devices and treatments and so on. I'm not going to tell you to do any of that. What I'm going to tell you to do is go to Jesus Christ directly and say, Jesus, I am ready for you to be the healer of my body. Would you help me begin to have the breakthroughs and the experience with healing that I need so I can be freed from the care of this world and instead begin to get cared for by Jesus Christ himself. That's my encouragement to you. Now for the preachers out there who are maybe scared to preach Jesus as the healer, I would encourage you to begin to pursue Christ as your healer. Get to know it in your own life. It's a lot easier to preach something that you have lived. When you begin to live Christ as your healer, it becomes a lot easier to preach it because you begin to know Christ as your healer and experience it and rely upon it. I'm going to encourage you to put on the full armor of God, but especially focus on the shield of faith, which scripture tells us extinguishes all the fiery darts of the enemy. By grace, through faith, so we are saved. And our salvation is our shield that protects us from sickness and disease. We see in Acts 10.38 that Jesus went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil. About a quarter of the healings in the New Testament and in the Gospels are actually from casting out demons. We need to understand what faith is. How does our shield of faith truly work? We need to be equipped with this tool so that we can hold it up. I'll tell you, for the longest time, I feel like I had a shield of faith, but it was sitting somewhere and I didn't know how to pick it up and how to use it, and I had never been trained with it. And if you haven't, that's something we're going to get into later on because that's an important part of being able to make sure that we walk in divine health and healing. I'm going to tell you that simply receiving healing in our time of need is not God's most perfect plan for health for mankind. It's walking in divine protection so that sickness and disease never even hits us in the first place. That is what we are pressing into. We see in Psalm 139, verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. 
My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I love this concept. We see this again in Jeremiah 1.5 where it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I already knew you. This means that before I was even alive, God already knew me. God himself is the one that formed me in the womb. Science just explains it as cells replicating. God describes it as he himself forming me in the womb. He formed me. I'm going to tell you, being in a womb is not like some sort of spiritual place or experience in the natural mind. That's not what we would think. Uh, it's not like that's, that's the place that's simply the dwelling house of God. I say this because sometimes there's men this mentality that, oh, I'm no longer in my mother's womb. Therefore, my body no longer belongs to God. Now it belongs to my fellow humans. And if I have a problem with my body, I can't go to the one who created it. I got to go to some dude down the street. Well, that's not a good mentality to have, and that's not a Christ-centered mentality. God himself is our creator. Do we believe it? Do we really, really, really believe that God is real, real, real for our spirit, soul, and body? Do we believe the one that formed our body is real enough to keep healing our body and to maintain our body as we place our faith in Christ and in Christ alone? I'm going to start wrapping this message up, but here's something I want to share before we close out this message. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and it is by grace, God's grace, that cost us nothing, but it cost him, Jesus, and his life. That's a big price. God's grace is freely extended to us, and we reach out in faith, and we receive it. It's like God's holding his hand out to us and our faith is us reaching out and grabbing his hand. I'm reminded of Peter when he was walking on the water and began to sink. And then Jesus reached out and Peter grabbed, they grabbed hands and Peter was saved from sinking in the water. Well, it works that way with us. We hear the message of the gospel that Jesus himself is the savior of our spirit. Jesus himself is the deliverer of my soul. If I've got problems in my mind, will, or emotions, who better than the one through whom all things were created, who has better comprehension than me or any man or all of mankind combined doesn't have the level of knowledge and wisdom as the Savior. And so he himself is the deliverer of my soul when I have a soul issue. If I have a bodily issue, he himself is the healer of my body. Jesus is the healer. I'm going to tell you this. Whenever my mentor, Roger Sapp, began to have breakthroughs in his healing ministry, it was a question that came from God to him. And the question was, Roger, why don't you receive me as your healer in the same way as you received me as your savior? And Roger had been saved for years. He had believed in healing. He prayed for people, rarely saw people healed, but, you know, a couple here and there. And that one question began to help him realize that he had a belief inside of him that healing was different than salvation for the spirit.
And as he began to reconcile that belief more and more, I would say it's it's not always an instantaneous 100%. I've got it all. I've reconciled everything. But once we grasp that truth that Jesus is our healer, well, it began to give Roger incredible healing success and breakthrough. It was some of his first healing success. And it was, I would say, the spark that ignited his ministry that turned into a worldwide healing ministry with 35,000 miraculous healings in it. Man, just by realizing and hearing that we can receive Jesus as our healer. If you have not done that, I would like you to do that today. Some point, take time. Don't let another day go by without Jesus as your savior for your spirit, your soul, or your body. God created you. He knitted you together in the womb. He made your body. He made your soul. He made your spirit. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. He gave the life of Jesus Christ to be able to redeem you, reconcile you to himself, and to bring you salvation, triune salvation, spirit, soul, and body. Get to know Jesus today as your savior, as your healer and deliverer. If you are not walking in salvation fully, accept the Savior fully, and you're about to enter into a wonderful journey with the Lord. It's a journey that a lot of people are starting to enter into right now. So if you're one of those people who feel like you're behind the power curve, get just start today. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's just waiting on you to believe in him more and more with the rest of your life. Let's close in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for the time together for hopefully a more expanded understanding within everyone of what salvation is, that your spirit of wisdom and revelation would begin to live in us and that, Lord, we would begin to understand who you are as our healer. And I know some of the things I said today may be a little bit challenging for those who have never taken the time to get kind of a meta perspective and a perspective from your eyes instead of the way that we were raised. But Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to reveal that as true to people and that they would understand how to break into more and more and more salvation for the spirit, soul, and body. In Jesus' name, amen.